Well, this morning we're continuing Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, you can see in your bulletin, the title is The Joy of Gospel Advancement in Difficult Circumstances. We're looking at part 2 of, of what Paul is writing to the Philippian believers as he is in prison in Rome. So follow along as I read our passage for us in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. One of the things that every preacher in the ministry strives for is to be trusted. To be trusted. Trust is, is the one thing that if you lose as a preacher of the Word, you have lost your ministry. With the explosion of the internet and social media, we're now bombarded with the news of preachers who fall into some grievous sin. And those preachers then lose the trust that they had. And for the world, they love this. The world loves to see preachers lose their trust. Because this is one of the ways that they are able to attack the gospel. If they can take down the preacher, if they can cause the people to lose trust in the preacher, then the people won't listen to the word that he preaches anymore. Attack. Slander and discredit the preacher. And as a tactic for the world, it works really well. Their aim is to get people to lose their trust in the preacher. And this is something that we would expect from the world. We would expect this kind of attack from Satan and his children. But the hardest part in ministry is when attacks come from within. When attacks come from brothers and sisters in Christ who are on the same team with you in advancing the gospel. When it is fellow believers in Christ who are after you and trying to get others not to trust you. When this happens in the ministry, this is tough to go through. It's hard to endure. That season of ministry is hard to endure because all you want to do is love people and point them to Christ. It's hard because the very people that you think are on your side are the ones who are actually tearing you down. They're attacking. 
They're slandering and they're trying to discredit you. And the Apostle Paul knew of this kind of hardship in ministry. He knew of it. He knew what it was like to have fellow believers try and discredit him. And the really hard thing for Paul was that this was all happening not while the church that he was pastoring was growing. Not while his sermons are being broadcasted on radio stations all over the world. No, this was happening while Paul was locked up in chains in prison. He was already in in difficult circumstances as a prisoner for, for Christ. But then, while he's in prison, there were fellow believers who were trying to discredit his ministry. They were trying to cause distress to Paul while he's already bound up in chains. But even in the midst of all of these difficulties, all of these difficult circumstances in Paul's life, it did not steal his joy. Why? Because his joy was not dependent upon his circumstances or his popularity. His joy was fixed in Christ and the proclamation of the gospel. Now in our passage here this morning, we're going to see two types of preachers. Two different types of preachers. And then we're going to see Paul's response to these preachers. These preachers here that Paul is talking about are identified by their motives. They're identified by their motives in their preaching. First, we're going to see the selfish preachers. Then second, we're going to see the selfless preachers. And then finally, we're going to look at the sanctified preacher. Now last week, we saw how Paul was able to rejoice even in the midst of his difficult circumstances in prison. Paul desired to go to Rome. He wanted to get to Rome so that he could go and preach the gospel. Paul eventually made it there. He eventually got to Rome. But it wasn't in the manner in which he thought he would go. He wanted to go as a, as a free preacher that was free to roam about in the city of Rome and go preach to the millions of people that were there in the city of Rome. But God's plan was to have him go as a chained prisoner. Not as a free preacher, but as a chained prisoner. God's plan was to have the Apostle Paul put in prison so that the gospel would spread in Rome, so that the gospel would get inside of Caesar's household, and so that the believers in Rome would be emboldened to preach the gospel. This was God's plan for Paul. And even though he was in these difficult circumstances in Rome, that did not steal his joy. But those circumstances... Being in prison were not the only thing that Paul was dealing with. Now let me help you to understand this passage here before us this morning by, by setting the scene for you. Let me set the scene for you. If you remember from last week, Paul did not establish the church in Rome. 
He wanted to get to Rome so that he could go and preach the gospel, but he had never gotten to Rome. There was already a church that was, that was planted there, and he didn't establish that church there. It was most likely the Jews who had come to Jerusalem for Passover and then stayed for Pentecost in Acts 2.10 who were the ones who heard the gospel and then they took the gospel back to Rome. They preached the gospel there and the church was founded then by those faithful preachers. The church in Rome, while Paul, when Paul writes the book of Romans to them, the church in Rome was doing well. Things were going well in Rome. And things were going well without the help of the Apostle Paul. There were leaders in the church who had been there preaching and teaching in the church without the help of Paul. Their theology was sound. In fact, when Paul writes the book of Romans to the church there at Rome, he doesn't correct their theology. He just helps them to understand more theology. So their theology is, is sound. The church was, was flourishing and it was doing well. In fact, if you remember from our study in Romans, for those of you that were with us on Wednesday nights as we studied Romans, in Romans 16, 19, Paul said this, For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. I'm rejoicing in, at what is going on there in Rome with you believers. Good things were happening in Rome. But Paul wanted to get to Rome so that he could go and preach the gospel there because it was a city that had over a million people. He wanted to go as an evangelist and go and preach the gospel there in the city of Rome. And he wanted to go there so that he could be strengthened by the believers who were there. These obedient believers who were there in the church of Rome. He wanted to see their gifts be used and be strengthened by them. But he also wanted to edify them and strengthen them as well with the gifts that God had given him. So things are going well in Rome. And Paul's desire was to go to Rome. And Paul eventually arrived in Rome. But this didn't sit well for the leaders who were already there in Rome. Think about this. They had been serving their church faithfully, doing their job well, and some thought, who needs Paul? Who needs Paul? Now, when Paul gets to Rome... What happens with his ministry? He arrives in Rome in chains. He gets there. And what happens then to his ministry while he's bound in chains in Rome? Well, we talked about it last week at the end of Acts 28. We saw what was happening. It says this in Acts 28 verse 30. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. What was going on with Paul's ministry in Rome? Even his own ministry while he was bound in chains was flourishing. He was able to preach and teach while he's locked up in chains as a prisoner in Rome. 
So even while he's there in chains, his, his ministry is flourishing, and people are coming to him to hear him preach and teach. As we saw last week in verse 14, it says, most, he said this about the Romans, he said, most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. He says, most of them, most of the believers who are here are are preaching the gospel with boldness. You've got a lot of bold preachers there in Rome. They're preaching without fear. But of that group of, of the most that he talks about in verse 14, there were some who were preaching Christ from envy and strife. This was most likely the group of men who had been leading the church and were faithful in their own ministries. But they didn't like that Paul was in town. And so they're preaching out of envy and strife. They didn't like that the people were going to listen to Paul teach instead of listening to them. And so they're preaching from envy and strife. And so that's the scene that is going on here. Now as we look at our our passage here before us, we're going to have to break this passage up in kind of an awkward manner because that's how Paul writes this. In verse 15, you'll notice that Paul talks about two different types of preachers. In verse 15 there, Paul talks about two different types of preachers. He talks about selfish preachers and selfless preachers. And then in verse 16, Paul tells us more about the selfless preachers. And then in verse 17, he goes back to the selfish preachers. And then in verse 18, we see his sanctified response to them, to both of these preachers. And so we're going to kind of break this up. And look first at the the selfish preachers in verses 15 and 17, then the selfless preachers in verses 15 and 16, and then finally we're going to look at Paul's response to both of them in verse 18. So that's how we're going to break up our passage here this morning. So let's look first of all at the selfish preachers. Let's look at these selfish preachers. That's who Paul starts off with in verse 15. Look at what he says there. He says, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. Now, notice he says there, some to be sure. You see that there? Some, some of the most that he had talked about in verse 14, some of them to be sure. It's almost as if Paul hears someone object and say, but some are boldly preaching Christ with wrong motives. Don't you know that, Paul? There are some that are preaching there with selfish motives. And Paul says, to be sure. I know, I know that's true. They are. It's true that some are here and are preaching with wrong motives. That's what Paul is saying there when he says to be sure. Which shows that this was not a shock to Paul. It wasn't a shock to see preachers going out and preaching with selfish motives. It wasn't something new. It it didn't shock him. Why would this not shock Paul? Because Paul knows the heart of man. He knows the heart of man. 
And he knows that even believers can act in a way that seeks to serve themselves and to put other people down. He knows that. That's why he's going to write later on in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he says this. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. What does Paul know? He knows the heart of man. He understands what is in the heart of man. The fallenness of man. And so he has to write to these Philippian believers and tell even them, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Consider others more important than yourself. But these preachers that were there in Rome while Paul is locked up in chains, these preachers weren't doing that. They weren't doing that. They were seeking to build themselves up by putting Paul down. They had selfish motives. Now, to some, this might sound like these preachers are are false teachers. How could they be preaching the gospel from envy and strife and be believers? Aren't these guys false teachers? I mean, maybe these guys are the Judaizers who Paul was talking about in the book of Galatians. The Judaizers who taught that salvation was by faith in Christ plus good works. They were adding to the gospel. But they can't be. These preachers here who are selfish preachers, they can't be false teachers. Why? Because Paul never condemns their preaching. He never condemns their preaching. In fact, in Galatians 1.7, Paul speaks to the Galatian believers about the Judaizers, and here's what he says about them. He says, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Any false teacher who comes in and preaches something other than the true gospel is to be accursed. But notice he never says that about these preachers here in Philippians 1. He never says that about these selfish preachers. Paul never says they're to be accursed. They have selfish motives. But they're preaching a true gospel. These are preachers who are are preaching A true biblical gospel. Their theology is orthodox and they were not preaching heresy. They were in fact preaching the truth. The gospel that you and I would preach. They were preaching that gospel. As MacArthur says, the problem was not in their theology, but in their motives. Not in what they preached, but in why they preached it. That was their problem. The problem was not in what they taught, but in their motives for preaching. And what were their motives? Well, Paul tells us specifically what they were preaching, what their motives were. It says, from envy and strife. 
They're preaching Christ from envy and strife. What is envy? Envy is a a negative response that is prompted by the success of another. And you could see this happen with these preachers. As the Apostle Paul comes into town, he's locked up in chains and people are going to Paul's house while he's there on house arrest to hear him preach and teach. Now think about that. As one of these preachers, they've been there preaching and teaching in their ministries there in Rome and all of a sudden this prisoner comes in and people want to go and hear him. What's going on here? You could see where they would become envious of Paul. Why are you guys going to listen to him? Don't you know how much time that I have poured into you? How I've preached the gospel to you? How I've loved you and cared for you? And now you just want to run over to this prisoner and hear him preach? You could see where they would become envious. This envy here means that you look at the success of another person and then see them as a threat. You see them as a threat. And that was the response of these preachers in Rome to Paul being in town. Even though he was in chains, they were envious of him and they saw Paul as a threat to the success of their own ministries. He was a threat to them. The second word that Paul uses to describe the the motive of these selfish preachers is strife. Strife. Their word means to be engaged in, in rivalry, discord, or contention. And what is the result of having motives like this? Conflict. Great conflict. When you have strife, you have conflict. You have conflict that arises not from the the theology that these men are preaching, but from their very heart, from their motives in their preaching. Now, Paul doesn't tell us exactly what these preachers were saying about him, but we might speculate that they would somehow use Paul's imprisonment against him. They might ask questions to the listeners of Paul as these people gathered at the house that Paul was at. These guys might come along and say something like, why is Paul in prison? But we're free. Are you really going to go listen to a prisoner preach? I mean, don't you know he's in chains? We're not in chains. Why are you listening to that guy? Or if Paul had real faith, shouldn't he be free? Shouldn't he be a free man? I mean, like what happened to him in Philippi when God opened the door of the jail? Shouldn't that happen to Paul? Shouldn't he be a free man if he has real faith? Or if Paul was a a real preacher, shouldn't he be martyred by now? I mean, how can he be locked up 18 inches away from a guard and preach the gospel to a guard and a guard not just take his sword and cut his head off? Maybe it's because he's not preaching. A true gospel. Envy and strife. And you could see how them just questioning the ministry of Paul would cause people to begin to distrust Paul and his ministry. 
And it would cause these selfish preachers to draw attention them to themselves. And so these preachers are preaching Christ from envy and from strife. But look also at how Paul describes him again down in verse 17. Notice what he says in verse 17. He says, the former, referring to the selfish preachers there, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Notice again their motives. Paul says that they're proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition. That word selfish ambition in the Greek was used to denote a self-seeking pursuit of a political office by unfair means. It's on display for us today, right? Selfish ambition. Self-seeking pursuit of a political office by unfair means. It means to serve self. And that was their motives in preaching Christ. They weren't doing it to bring glory and honor to Christ, but they were doing it with selfish motives to build themselves up. To say, look at me. Look at what I've done. To build up their own ministry and their own reputation. That was the heart behind these preachers. Paul says there that they did not have pure motives. They didn't have pure motives. And it didn't just stop with their selfish, impure motives, but notice what their goal was. Paul says, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. That was their goal, to get to Paul and cause him distress in the situation, the difficult circumstances he was already in. That was their goal. Trying to cause Paul even more distress in his imprisonment. And they had thought that they were successful in that. Notice what he says there. Thinking to cause me distress. They thought that they were going to cause me distress, but they weren't able to cause me distress. How do we know that? Because of look at what he says at the end of verse 18. In this I rejoice. Now what exactly did they try and do to cause distress to Paul while he's in imprisonment? We don't know. We don't know. But they weren't rejoicing that Paul was in town. They weren't excited. They weren't telling their church, hey, go listen to the Apostle Paul who's locked up in chains. Now, looking at preachers like this, we might ask this question. Why were they acting this way? If these guys are preaching a true, faithful gospel, why are they acting this way? I mean, if they're they're believers in Christ who are preaching a faithful gospel, why are they doing this to Paul and acting this way? Well, hold your finger in Philippians 1 and turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul is writing to the believers there about the difference between the flesh and walking in the flesh and the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. Notice what he says in in Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. 
For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Notice this, verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now notice this. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. You see that there? Why were they acting with envy and strife and selfish ambition? Because these preachers were walking in the flesh. They were walking in the flesh. They weren't walking in obedience to God's word, but they were fulfilling the desires of their own flesh. That's the reason why they acted like this toward Paul. And yet, at the same time, these believers, these preachers, were still preaching a true gospel. Now, there's another type of preacher in Rome, and that was the selfless preachers. Turn back to Philippians 1, and look again at verse 15. He says, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. These are preachers who were not out to attack Paul or to get people to distrust him. But their, their motive in preaching was goodwill. They had good, pure motives in preaching the gospel. These are preachers who wanted what was best for others. They supported Paul in his ministry of preaching the gospel. Hey, if there's a man that's locked up in chains over there who's faithful in preaching the gospel, let's send people over there. Have them listen to him preach the gospel, and we're going to go out and we're going to preach the same gospel. They're preaching from goodwill. These were men who were an encouragement to Paul while he was in his chains. Unlike those selfish preachers who were trying to discourage Paul in his ministry, these were faithful preachers who cared for Paul's ministry and the faithful preaching of the word. In fact, Paul goes on to describe them in verse 16. Notice what he says there in verse 16. The latter do it out of love. That is, the selfless preachers do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Paul gives us some more insight to their, their motive. What was their motive? Love. It was love. It was with a heart of love that they were out preaching the gospel. And specifically, in the context here, it was their love for Paul. As they saw Paul faithfully preaching the gospel, they said, we want to join alongside Paul, we love him, and we want to go out and faithfully preach that same gospel. Now, of course, they had love for the Lord as well. That's why they're preaching the gospel, right? But they had love for Paul, and they knew of his call to ministry. Notice Paul says of them, and the second part of verse 16 there. That they know that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. 
The selfish preachers were, were thinking that they were causing Paul distress, even though they weren't. But these selfless preachers know that Paul has been appointed for the defense of the gospel. They have a, a true knowledge of the mission to which Paul has been appointed to. They understand it. They know that. Now, this is important for us to know. Watch this. Remember back in verse 9? As we studied through the prayer of Paul there, look back at verse 9. As Paul prays for the Philippian believers to abound more in their love. And how does he say true love abounds? Look at it there in verse 9. It says, in real knowledge and all discernment. In real knowledge and all discernment. We now see an illustration of how knowledge guides and increases love. They knew of Paul's call to the ministry. They knew, they had a knowledge in their mind. They knew and they understood that God had specifically called this man to go and preach the gospel. And because of that knowledge then, it caused them to increase in their love for him. We know that he's a faithful preacher. We know that God has called him to it. And we love him. And we're going to do all that we can to support him. Because he's a faithful minister of Christ. Who has been called by God to preach the gospel. They knew that Paul had been appointed to this. He was appointed by God to be a defender of the gospel. They knew that Paul's goal was to preach Christ. And that the way that they would then express their love for Paul is to proclaim Christ as well. To come alongside of him and proclaim Christ. Because they knew that that is all that Paul was concerned about. He was concerned about Christ and the preaching of the gospel. These preachers here didn't preach Christ for their own personal gain. They preached Christ for the benefit of others. Because they desired to see others saved. They did it out of a, out of a heart of love. Love for Paul and ultimately love for Christ. And how were they able to do that? Turn back to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We just saw what the deeds of the flesh were. In verses 19 through 21. But in Galatians 5.22, notice what Paul says there. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Love. What was the, the difference with this group of preachers? These were preachers who were walking in the Spirit. They weren't out to fulfill the desires of their own flesh. They were walking in the Spirit. And what did the Spirit produce in their lives? Love. The Spirit produced this in their lives. 
Now, you have these two groups of preachers, selfish preachers and selfless preachers. How did Paul respond to these two different groups of preachers? Well, turn back to Philippians chapter 1. And let's look at Paul's sanctified answer. Notice what he says in verse 18. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Look, Paul wasn't out to compete with other preachers. Preaching the gospel wasn't a competition to him. He didn't show up in Rome ready to steal people away from the churches that were there in Rome. He wasn't there ready to take down the ministry of these other faithful preachers who were there in Rome preaching the gospel. When Paul shows up in Rome in chains, he was focused on one goal. One goal. Preach Christ. Preach Christ. There were selfish preachers who were preaching in in pretense with a, a false motive. Pretense there, as he describes, means to preach Christ or to use his name as a cover or a mask for personal and selfish means. They were preaching Christ in order that they might gain some kind of following for themselves. Pretense. Then you had the selfless preachers who were preaching in truth. In truth. Truth there means to preach Christ not only with accuracy of the gospel message, but with true motives in their heart. They had true and faithful motives in their heart. But we might look at these selfish preachers that we just talked about and think, how can people come to Christ if these selfish preachers have the wrong motives? If they're out preaching Christ for their own personal gain, to gain followers for themselves, how are people getting saved? How does that happen? Answer, because the power is not in the messenger, the power is in the message. Remember what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 1.16? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, that is the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the gospel that has the power. Not these preachers. No preacher has any power in himself. The power is in the message. The power is in the word of God. It's the power of the Word of God. It's the Word of God that that changes hearts. No preacher is changing hearts. It's the Word that the preachers preach that changes hearts. It's the work of the Spirit in your heart that changes you. It's not me or any other preacher. It's God's Word that is doing the work. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that. And that's why those selfish preachers couldn't shake him. They couldn't steal his joy from him. 
They couldn't take his joy away from him. He knew that as long as they were out preaching a true gospel, people would get saved and Christ would be glorified. And how did Paul respond to this? I love this. At the end of verse 18, he says, And in this I rejoice. (laughs) Selfish preachers who are out there trying to get people to distrust me, trying to cause distress in my own imprisonment and the difficult circumstances that I'm already in and they're trying to beat me down even more. But you know what? They're still preaching Christ. And in that, I will rejoice. He knew that the gospel was going forward. And as the gospel is going forward, all he could do is rejoice. Notice he didn't try and defend his ministry. Paul doesn't give a defense of his ministry. He didn't try and defend himself. He didn't lash out at these selfish preachers. This was a sanctified man who cared more about Christ and the gospel than himself. And as long as the gospel was going forth, that brought him great joy. In closing, I want to share a story with you about two great preachers from the 1700s. Two great preachers who were leading the Great Awakening in England And in America, two great preachers, a man named John Wesley and another man named George Whitfield. These men had preached to thousands, thousands. They saw multitudes of people come to Christ during the Great Awakening. However, Wesley was Arminian in his theology. But George Whitfield was a Calvinist. There's the great debate. An Arminian versus a Calvinist. These two men had many meetings in which they had great disagreements in their theology. They had many meetings to sit down and discuss theology and open up God's Word and defend their position. And in fact, they never, ever settled their disagreements. Never. In fact, it had gotten so bad between the two that at one point, when Whitfield had left England to preach in America, upon returning a year later, he had almost no support from the believers who were there in England. Almost no support. And he arrives back in England and he goes, What happened? Where did everybody go? Here's what happened. All of his supporters left him because while he was gone, 
John Wesley distributed a tract titled Free Grace, which condemned the very doctrines of grace that Whitfield had been faithfully preaching. Great disagreement between these two men. At one point, though, it's reported that one of Whitfield's followers, who obviously was envious of Wesley, asked Whitfield if he thought that they would see John Wesley in heaven. Whitfield responded with this, and he said, No, I do not. The man then asked, Then do you not think Wesley is a converted man? Whitfield responded with this, Of course I think Wesley is a converted man. But I do not expect to see him because he will be so close to the throne of God and I so far away that I won't be able to see him. George Whitfield was a man who was committed to the proclamation of the gospel. He cared about Christ and the good news of Christ going forth. And he was envious of no one. Not even the man who turned his own followers against him. He was envious of no one because he cared more about the preaching of Christ and the glory of Christ than he did about himself. And the same was true of the Apostle Paul. You see, Paul wasn't fixed upon himself. He wasn't fixed upon his circumstances. His ministry wasn't about him. His life wasn't about him. His difficult circumstances were not about him. He was a humble man, and his entire life was devoted to the proclamation of Christ. He didn't become envious of other people's ministries. He didn't wish to cause strife and distress in these selfish preachers' lives. He was devoted to preaching the gospel. And this is what brought him great joy. Listen, church. May we have the same heart as the Apostle Paul. Be devoted to the advancement of the gospel of Christ. No matter what circumstance you are in, use that as an opportunity to proclaim Christ and see the gospel go forth. And as you see the gospel go forth, you can then step back and rejoice, just as the Apostle Paul did. Let's pray. Father, we have a lot to learn from this sanctified man.
who was going through circumstances and difficulties that none of us have ever had to endure. In prison for two years. And then he heads to Rome and is shipwrecked. And then eventually gets to Rome and he's on house arrest, locked to a guard 24-7. What difficult circumstances he was in. But Father, as we have just studied, his life wasn't about him. His life was about you, about Christ, and the name of Christ being proclaimed. Father, I pray that you would help us to learn from this man's life, that we would be those who boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ, that we live our lives for him in whatever circumstances we are in, that we would keep our eyes fixed upon Christ. Father, forgive us for looking at our own lives, turning our eyes to ourselves. Father, may we never do that, but may we always look up to Christ and keep our eyes fixed upon Him, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, I pray for anyone who is here this morning who does not know you, who is not a follower of Christ. Father, I pray that you would open their hearts to know Christ, to give their lives over to Christ, that they would repent of their sin that has separated them from you, that they would put their faith in Christ alone, who lived a perfect life, went to a cross, and paid the price for our sin. Who was buried and was raised on the third day and sits at your right hand. Father, draw them to yourself. May your gospel continue to go forth. And may we live lives rejoicing. Rejoicing in the fact that Christ is proclaimed. And may you receive the glory for it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.